Well, we have uh, had just a great couple of uh, weeks here leading up to Christmas. We've been in this series uh, we've entitled uh, Christmas Invasion. And we've talked through the n- a number of weeks now uh, just about uh, aspects of that, uh, that invasion. The first week we talked about, if you remember, going behind enemy lines and kind of the reality of uh, the kingdom that we're in the middle of. The, that, that really helps frame the idea of, man, what a, what a challenging environment we've been placed and why Christ had to break through into the darkness uh, to reach out to people here. Then we talked last week about the topic, the unexpected uh, Jesus, who didn't show up in any way that anyone expected. Obviously, uh, as the king of the universe, didn't show up in a, in a palace or with, uh, with uh, royal parents, but came in a, as, a, as a humble servant. And we celebrated that last week where he wasn't what was expected, but he was everything that was needed. And this week in our final week of this Christmas series, we're talking about the topic of Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. And we address that even in our worship, talking about that through the songs that we're singing and why that's uh, such a, a, a big deal is we're in a world that confuses the identity of who Jesus was. So if you, if you look in the media, how often you see that, yes, he was a, he was a great prophet. He was a, he was a wonderful teacher, and he was so practical and, and, and still relevant to this day. But people are very hesitant to acknowledge the fact that he wasn't just a good man. He was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. And really, our belief system as Christ followers hinges on this truth, hinges on this reality that he was fully God and fully man. And it should be something when, we're, when it's not being pointed at that, it should be something that gets us fired up. In fact, I want to share with you guys a, a little story of someone else that got fired up when this truth wasn't presented clearly. Has anyone ever heard of uh, St. Nick? Uh, Santa Claus. In fact, he gets a lot of attention this time of the year. I want to give you a little bit of historical background on St. Nick just as we set up uh, the topic for this morning. You may not know some of these facts about, uh, about Nicholas. He was actually from Turkey, was born there. He was born to wealthy parents. Some of you may have done a study like this at one point before. He was born to wealthy parents, and they actually died of an epidemic at a, at a young age. And so he was left with a good degree of inheritance, and he was used, chose to use that inheritance to, to bless others, to use that to take care of the poor and the needy. And so a great example, but what a lot of people forget to mention is he was also a committed Christ follower, was sold out for Christ. In fact, so much so that he was actually put in prison for following Christ in, uh, in the, uh, it was called the Diocletian persecution. So he's imprisoned for following Christ, and so much so that he, I mean, spent a good amount of time in prison. I didn't catch the exact amount of years, but he was released in time for what was known, it was a big deal at the time, what was uh, known as the Council of Nicaea. You may have heard that before, where it was a gathering of, of church leaders from around the world. They were coming to determine this question that we're talking about here this morning is, was Jesus just a good man, or was he God in the flesh? Was he a good man? And so much it, that, that, that St. Nick was so passionate about, he actually he got the title St. Nick because he was actually a bishop in the city of Myrna, but he was at this Council of Nicaea, and this discussion came up was, was Jesus just a man? 
And it became so, uh, he was so passionate about it. There was a man at this council by the name of Arius. This man, Arius, was trying to present the case that he was just, Jesus was just a good man, a good teacher, very relevant, very practical, making this case. It got St. Nick so fired up that in this council, this formal gathering, he got up from his seat, went across the room, grabbed Arius by his beard, and punched him in the face. Merry Christmas from St. Nick. And so, so, so when, we're, when, we're, uh, when we're talking about he ended up back in prison after that uh, because of this, this passionate uh, exercise. But the, the point that I bring up is one to say like, hey, maybe the Santa that we're celebrating isn't quite the Santa that we think. Uh, but, but, but also the, 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 the idea that what got him fired up was exactly this topic, and what's so critical to our life as a follower of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ wasn't just a man. He was fully God, fully man, God in an earth suit, if you will. Our, and why I, I was talking just with someone about this this week, just why is this such a big deal? Why is this so important? Why is this even relevant to us a present day? And the reason why it's so relevant is because whether it's our intentional or un intentional rejection of God's authority in our life, there are consequences, and the consequences for our sin couldn't be solved by a man. They couldn't be solved by a man. There's been plenty of of noble people that have died terrible uh, deaths, but our problem, our sin issue, our rejection of God as creator, our choice to become self-gods that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, that choice could only be solved by God himself entering in. There's a price. The wages of sin is death. There's a price that needed to be paid that only God in the flesh could solve. So he came to us as the perfect sacrifice. Before we dive into that, though, I want to just lift our time up before the Lord. God, we just thank you for this chance to be together and this opportunity to dive into this reality that changed everything. The fact that you, God of the universe, entered in, that you came down, that you lived the perfect life and then died as the perfect sacrifice on behalf of that. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. It's not just any birthday, it's the birthday. We pray that you'd guide and direct us even this time now. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, this idea, we're going to point out three different facts here this morning. And the first one is that Jesus showed up fully God, fully man, as the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. In fact, John the Baptist recognized this in John one twenty nine. his response upon seeing Jesus. And you may be familiar with this, this text, John one twenty nine. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of a few... No, of the world. For thousands of years, God had the people of Israel sacrifice animals, many times lambs, as it's pointed out here in that text, to set the stage for Jesus Christ's ultimate sacrifice. It was all painting the picture for what was going to happen through this sacrifice. In John, in 1 John 2, 2, it points to the same fact. It says Jesus, or he, is the propitiation, which means the perfect sacrifice For our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Have you guys ever wrestled through that truth where you're just like, how does one person, how can they cover 
the sins of the whole world. How does that, how does that even work? How does, how does a person solve that sin problem? And what I want to present this morning is that they can't. A person can't solve the sins of the whole world. And that's why it's so important that it wasn't just a person. It was God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Because Jesus, as an infinite person, was able to, or he had the capacity to absorb God's infinite wrath. So an infinite person was required to absorb God's infinite wrath. And so no man would have been qualified. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, his Son, referring to God, cleanses us from all sin. And the result of this, Colossians 1, 14 says this, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's why this is such a big deal. That's why it's such awesome news that we're celebrating. That's why we're singing songs. That's why we get together here on Sunday morning rather than sleeping in because the God of the universe chose to enter in. This is great news for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. It's fantastic news. It's not so good. It's not good news for those that have chosen to pay the price themselves. You see, there's a penalty that needs to get paid, and we're going to either have Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice to make that payment, or on our own behalf, we're going to make that payment. One way or the other, there's going to be a payment made, but the eternal payment is not something, I promise you, that we want to pay ourselves. And so Jesus was the the one that entered in and gave the opportunity, the, the potential to bail out. He was the perfect sacrifice. But not only just the perfect sacrifice, he was also the perfect example of humility. I want to point us to a text here this morning that we're going to spend the majority of our time in. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. This points to probably the, the, the most uh, compelling description or example of, of what actually happened with Jesus entering in. This follows in the, the, the letter that Paul wrote. This follows his charge to the Philippian church towards unity. And in this section, we see how this, this unity is possible. Take a look in verse 3 of Philippians 2. It says this. What an amazing charge for us. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How are we doing with that? Let each of you look not only to his own needs, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then listen in verse 6 what it says. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the the, the perfect humility, the example for each of us, the perfect example. As we interact, have you ever noticed this? As we interact with different people, one of the things that we really like to, to know and sense as we're talking and engaging with somebody, even in our own relationships, is that, uh, that, that the person that we're interacting with, that they get it. That they've been down the road, they understand, they're like, yeah, I, I, I really feel like, I don't know if you've had this statement before after talking to somebody, you're like, I feel like they, they really understand me. I feel like they get it. 
One of the, one of the, the, the truths about how people think of, of God, if we're, honest with our, our, if, if we're honest with ourselves, is the world around us tends to think of him as somebody that you're like, you know, he just doesn't get it. He has it. He does it. He's he's a distant entity. He's unconcerned, uninvolved, and really unable to relate. And a lot of people think of God and put him in this category. But the truth is that we see in the text there that God. That's not at all true of God. God made the choice to enter in. God was willing to roll up his sleeves and get into our mess. He didn't stay on this high and lofty throne looking down at us in our, in our, our, our miserable situation. He said, you know what? I'm going I'm to decide to roll up my sleeves and go down and get messy. I'm going to enter in. I was uh, spent, I've mentioned this before, I've spent a season of, of time, my wife and I, where my wife was a resident director at Judson University outside of Chicago as a university there. And so we were actually, if you remember your, of your college experience, if you had one, uh, that kind of the dorm mom. So my, my wife was the dorm mom, and what does that then make uh, me? The kind of the dorm dad, right? Or the, or the fix-it guy. And so it ended up a, a lot of different times that I was the guy with a plunger. I was the guy with the, uh, solving lots of things in this, this dorm existence. And one time, they, they had this propensity during heavy rains for the building that we were in. It was a little bit older of a facility to, to flood. And I, I've heard you guys every once in a while get some hard rains. Every like nine months, you get a rain. And, uh, but, but here in Chicago, it would just come down. And when they were kind of in a floodplain, and the building that we we're in had, I don't know if you've seen this in buildings, you guys don't dig down a lot here, uh, but had those window wells in each of the, the windows so that the people downstairs still had a window and got some natural light through. Well, these window wells at this campus had drains at the bottom of them, and in theory, when the rain would come in, those drains would then drop the water down to a lower level, and it'd be taken care of. But this dorm that we're in, those drains had been, hadn't been cleaned out in years and years. So when it would rain, you'd be in the basement and you'd watch the window well, which wasn't good, filling up with water, filling up with water, and then start just streaming through the bottom directly into the building. And you're like, this is a problem. Like there needs to be somebody that would enter in. And so guess who got that job? Guess who got, well, the water that kind of built up in these things, I wouldn't say was exactly clean per se. And so what did, what did I do? I'd, I'd go and I'd put on like some old nasty clothes, some shorts, and, and literally you'd have to drop down in this window well. And to get to the bottom thing, as much as I tried to solve it with my toes, I couldn't. And so you actually had to like f- go fully in. You had to dive in head first into this nasty, dirty water and undo this drain so that the water could flow and you could save of the day. Well, well, I was, I was, I was, it was just part of the routine. It was, it was a disgusting part of the job. It was an entering in. And the reason I tell that story, you're just like, how does that even relate? But think about, think about, think about God. I was thinking about this, like God in the flesh, that was him taking off his robes of glory. That was him taking off the, 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 the position on high putting on the human earth suit, the getting ready to come in and get messy with us, coming down and being re- willing to fully dive in. That was, that's what God, the God of the universe, chose to do through Jesus Christ. That's what he was, he was willing to enter in, to get messy, to get dirty. In fact, in the text, what does it say there? It says that he emptied himself. He shed his robes of glory and took the form of a man in this extreme act of humility. You see, 
as part of the Trinity, as part of the God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit, he was elevated on high prior to this. In fact, in, his, in his, one of his prayers at the end of his life, in John 17, 5, he says this when he's praying, you, you listen into him, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Bring me back to that place of glory. That's what he was asking for at the end of his life. He had been in this position of glory. He came down. He emptied himself is what the text points out. He, he, the, the, the term there for this emptying, I think I've mentioned it before, is this word kenosis, which actually means to empty oneself. And the best description I think uh, of to describe that is Jesus cooperated with the limitations of mankind and voluntarily did not exercise all of his divine attributes. That way, he came down. He shed himself of his divine attributes, many of them. We get little glimpses that would come out through miracles. But the majority, he shed himself, emptied himself, and came and lived among us. But then what does the text say in verse 7? But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So it wasn't just emptied himself and just became man, as if that wasn't bad enough. He said, hey, I'm not only going to become a man, I'm going to become a servant. I'm going to show up as a servant. The word servant there actually is the same word used as slave. So he showed up, showed up and said, like, hey, not in, in priestly robes as a, as a king, but said, like, I'm going to show up not just as that, but as a servant. And then it goes on in verse 8 to say, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. You see, he, was, he lived among us, but he also died for us. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Listen to this. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So he came down and lowered himself to the lowest point as, as a human, then as a slave, and then as a slave that was put on a cross. How awesome is that? How awesome is that reality? That's what's happening. So he lived among us, died for us. And then lastly, I want to point out in this section is that he not only lived among us and set this example, that he showed us how to live a better way. What does it say there in verse 5? It says, have this mind among yourself. Have your mind, this mind, or this mindset, if you will, to have this mindset of humility. Where my question is, if the God of the universe is to humble himself to this point for us and set that example, like how could we as his followers not do the same? Not do the same, not do the same thing. That's why he points out in the text there. That's what he's saying. Man, he's like, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's saying, if I've done this, if I've done this extreme act of humility, it's, it's only makes sense for you to do the same thing. A lot of us can read things like that and be like, oh, it's just a, another command in Scripture, like a command towards humility. Oh, there's another on the list of the things I'm blowing it on. Anybody feel like that sometimes with lists in Scripture? But the truth is, is this is an invitation to a better way to live. 
This is an invitation to a better way to live. Think about it for a second. Think about the people that have had the most impact on our world or positive impact in the last hundred years. Were they proud and boastful or were they humble? Was Mother Teresa like, like, like proclaiming her greatness? Was Gandhi? Was, was Mar- well, you know, you fill in the blank who your, your hero is. One of the things that, that, that's true in the course of history is humility ends up getting elevated. That's how it works. Is that the truth is that it's not just a command. It's the best way to live. Think about the people that you like to surround yourself with. Who do you enjoy being around? Do you enjoy, anybody ever been to a dinner party with somebody that they're just constantly talking about all of their exploits and all the great feats that they've had? Or uh, uh, like, what does that do that like exhausts you? You're like clock checking every five minutes because we're drawn to people that are, that are humble, that have this humility thing down. We're not, we're not drawn to people that are proud. Or think about even with the battles that you've had with your kids over the years. How many of those are driven because of issues of of pride and and self-sufficiency? We're drawn to people like that and we also combat that with with, with kids that are constantly thinking that they know better than you do, right? Anybody ever have a kid like that? Or maybe I'm the only one. And, uh, and, And so this idea, who are we drawn to? Think about Think about uh, also who, what, what rubs us the wrong way in professional sports. What, what, when people are singing their own praises and accolades, man, it's exhausting. So it's not, just a, it's not just a command. It's the best way to live, this life of humility. Pride started, it's the very root of it, was the beginning of sin with Satan, and it's rippled all the way generations to the present. I love this quote. Pride compares ourselves with others and concludes we're better. Pride can compares ourselves with others and concludes we're better. As opposed to humility, which compares ourselves with Jesus and comes to a reality that, like, wait a second, he's better. He's better. That's, that, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that, that's the difference between pride and humility. Humility compares ourselves with Christ. It celebrates others and gives God the appropriate glory that's due his name. That's why it says, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. Truth is, as a church, there's nothing that can, that can grow a church faster than a appropriate humility and nothing that can tear down a church faster than pride, right? You've seen it before in, in, in churches around our country. Humility is what, what God chooses to elevate. Because why? Because God opposes the pride, the proud, and gives grace to the humble. The, the idea, I was, we were at this Christmas cafe thing just last weekend, and I was talking to a number of different families, just interacting with folks that were here. And one of the ladies that I met, it was her first time here at the, at the church. And uh, she's like, man, she was telling me, she's like, man, I didn't even know that this place existed. And she, she, she made this statement. She's like, it's kind of like a, a, a little hidden jewel back here. And I, I, got, I got thinking of that, and I started thinking like, yeah, we are kind of a hidden jewel. Yeah, that, that, that is true. And then, then I started thinking about this in light of this passage. I'm like, wait a second. Like anything that's happened good in this church is only because of the sustaining power of Almighty God. It's only been acts of His kindness for any of us to have anything that we cling to as some kind of a weird boasting. Like, man, that's not of God. So maybe the, the, we might be a hidden jewel, but that jewel 
is Jesus Christ's kindness to this church. Any amens in that one? Like that, that's been his faithfulness to this, ch- this church. So making sure that we have appropriate humility, that anything that's good, anything that's, that, that's been God's kindness should be pointed out. We can't take credit for what belongs solely to him. Mark Driscoll has this quote. He says, we're the kite and Jesus is the hurricane. We're the kite. We're just the one that's, that's flowing in the air. How much role does a, a kite have in the whole process? Like, a kite's just there. It's kind of, kind of a pointless piece of sticks, and in our case, the ones we own, just plastic junk. But, but, when, you get a, but when you get a nice wind, when you get that, that huge gale of wind coming, it's an awesome thing. My, my kids and I, there's a park close to us. We, we love running around with this crazy uh, Transformers kite somebody gave us. And, uh, and watching that thing sail, it's an awesome thing. But who gets credit for that? Who gets credit? It's not because of me designing some cool thing. It's because Almighty God, He's the wind. He's the one. And the same is true in our lives. Making sure that we're giving appropriate credit where it's due. As I mentioned, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I like that, that idea, that picture of like when we're, when we're prideful and boastful of our, ourselves and our own accomplishments, it's like thinking, thinking of God opposing that is like, is like saying, I want to get, I want to step in the ring with God and talk about all my feats. But the truth is God's saying like, no, I oppose that. I oppose. You don't want to go toe to toe because what does he say he does? He brings grace. He gives grace to the humble. Not a wise thing. So how do we pursue this idea of humility? How do we move towards it in our life? It's something that's so deep-rooted, if we're honest with ourselves and our culture and our surroundings. It's not an easy thing to, to take off, this whole pride thing, right? It's something that, that comes over, over time, and it's not even something that you can celebrate when you arrive. It's not like you, you can have me standing up here and say, like, you know what? I'm the most humble person you've ever met. You know, like, that, it's not something that you ever get to that place where you're celebrating, but it's something that the Holy Spirit can start doing Doing a work in our in our lives. There's a book by C.J. Mahaney called Humility: True Greatness that gave some really neat, uh, practical suggestions on how to foster a lifestyle of humility. I just wanted to share those briefly with you in this idea of of pursuing humility ourselves. The first one is just gives. I'll just briefly go through this list of suggestions. First one is this: is to follow truth. Follow truth, regardless where it leads you even if it's not in your best interest. I love that idea. Do what's right. Let the chips fall where they're going to fall. Invite criticism, number two. Invite criticism and receive it. Invite criticism and receive it. I talked about this uh, about a month back with my kids with, with calling uh, calling me out if I was getting too easily angered. Do you guys remember me talking about that? And so the, the update on that is they get pretty good at that. They, they called out pretty frequent and so much so any discipline now that happens is because, Dad, you're t- being too easily angered. I'm like, no, son, this is, this is righteous. And so... Um, so invite criticism, look for it, be willing to receive it. This idea of being willing to, to learn from everyone, learn from everyone. What if we're, we're just students instead of having this approach of like, hey, I've got it all figured out. What if we're willing to, to learn from people? How about this, the, another one moving towards humility. Repent quickly, repent quickly. 
Yesterday, I don't know if anybody else has this with some of the holiday stuff with the hecticness and the craziness. Anybody else have some stress levels go up a, a couple notches in their, their life? Anybody willing to confess? We're in a church. It's a safe place. And, uh, and so, so yesterday, I, we, had, we had gotten a, a new, my wife's family's coming in, uh, in, into town. They came in last night. We had a new picture that, I was, uh, that was in like eight different pieces, and it needed to go on the wall. And I was just stressed over getting, I'm like, oh, I just put another hole in the wall and it's a rental and you're like just my stress levels and I was just being cranky my kids I was being cranky with my son was behind me when I was trying to do something I kind of stepped on him I'm like get out of the way you know and uh, and so so I had to I had to go back and and own that stuff I think part of humility is going back and apologizing being willing to acknowledge it when you when, when you've blown it so repent quickly is another step or, or this fifth one is to celebrate God's grace in others. Taking, taking our eyes off of self a bit. Noticing when God's doing an awesome work in somebody else's lives. We get so self-absorbed. Or cultivate an atmosphere of thankfulness. The proud think they deserve something. The humble, the humble see everything as a gift. The humble see everything as a gift. How about this one? Listen, number seven. Listen to scripture more than yourself. Listen to scripture more than yourself. We have a tendency to, to elevate ourselves inappropriately and thinking of our, our, our own thoughts about ourselves. Listen to what, what is scripture? What is God's word? Who cares what I think about me? It only depends on what does God's word say about me. Listen to scripture more than yourself. Or how about this? Exalt Jesus in whatever you do, making sure that you're redirecting praise. When someone, there's a tendency when somebody gives some words of encouragement and you're like, you're doing a great job with this, as you're like, I am, you know, I am doing a great job with this, you know, I did do a nice job picking out that gift, I, I, I am, you know what I mean, like there's, there's this tendency to absorb my hope and my prayer is that we're, we redirect, that we redirect glory appropriately, so exalt Jesus, and then this one I think some of us could stand to, to do a little bit more in life is this, laugh, laugh. How is, wait a second, how does that relate to humility? You see, the truth is, is a proud person takes themselves way too seriously. Way too seriously. A healthy part of a life of humility is willing to laugh at yourself. Like, to be willing to see yourself as a, as a joke. is like, wait, wait a second, I'm a, I'm a goofball. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not it. Like, the idea, you're great material and you are the joke. You're great material, and you are the joke. Let that simmer, and you heard that from your pastor here this morning. All right, so this last one, sleep, I, I like this one. So laugh is one charge, and this other step towards humility I liked as well is this idea of to sleep like a Christ follower. Sleep like a Christ follower. You're like, sleep? That sounds good. Anybody up for that? But, but this idea of sleeping like a Christ follower, a Christ follower is able to put things on the shelf and say, you know what? God's taking care of that. I don't need to carry the weight of that. When I'm carrying the weight of it, it's actually just pride elevating its, its ugly, rearing its ugly head. Sleep like a Christ follower. A Christ follower has peace, doesn't have anxiety, isn't carrying the weight of everything on their own. Sleeping like a, a, a Christ follower is a release. It's an activity that is, should be part of every, and maybe some of us just showed up this morning just to hear that word here this morning, sleep like a Christ follower. So we saw first in the, in the text there that, that Jesus Christ, in the, God in the flesh, was the perfect sacrifice. 
He's the perfect example of humility. And the last thing I want to close with is that at some point, and soon to be more realized, uh, soon to be realized by us as his creation, he will be perfectly exalted, perfectly exalted. Look how that text ends in Philippians 2, verse 9. It says, Therefore, because of this act, this extreme act of humility, therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in case you thought he missed a place. And every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in other words, after showing his humiliation, after this this extreme act of humility, of coming down, he goes to point out the exaltation. The, The truth is, therefore, because of this grand gesture of humility, God has put his name above all other names. We're not following a helpless baby in a manger. We're not following a man stuck on a cross. We're following an exalted God Almighty who's been lifted high. That's what he's pointing out here. That's what he's saying. That's what we're celebrating. This God that's been exalted to the, the, the right hand of God the Father. And what is the, what is the name? I love this idea. It says, what is the name? So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Eventually, every single person, there will be a bent knee by everybody. Anybody that's ever exempted, he, ma- he makes sure that he covers all the bases. The, 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 the person on the earth, under the earth, people that are alive, people that are, that, that are dead. The question is whether or not they're going to do it willingly or not. You see Romans 10, 9 through 11 points out the, this fact that while on earth we have this choice to acknowledge him at Lord as Lord and that actually redirects our eternity. We're all going to admit it whether it's here on earth or after earth. You can, you can say like, you know what, I'm not going to acknowledge that. I'm going to take on this penalty of, of sin myself. Not very wise, not very wise. In heaven and on earth and under the, under the earth. There's one name. The truth is our name's not that big of a deal. Our name's not that big of a deal, right? Our name's not that... I, I read all of these books about, uh, about all these things, even Christian authors talking about leaving your legacy and sell it, you know, making sure that you're passing down your name from one generation to the generation. I personally think that the most successful thing that you can do is point, having your life pointed to him, pointed to him. I think success is successfully unknown, successfully unknown. Nobody remembers you, but they remember Almighty God because that's the only name that people are going to bow to. That's the, your, your name is not going to be on the radar, I promise you. And I hope that's not too bad of news for anyone. But the truth is that this name, this name of Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is exciting reality for those of us that, that are following Jesus Christ, that those of us that have made that choice to bend our, our knee. In fact, Romans 8:17 describes this reality that not only is he elevated, he's gonna bring us as his followers up with him. It describes us as co-heirs with Christ. 
I don't think that reality of the, those terms really sink into our, into our conscious. That's the idea that he wants to take his greatness, he wants to bring us along. It's kind of like somebody that shares something really nice. Somebody, something, somebody that shares something really nice. I, I remember just a few weeks back, and we'll close with this, a few weeks back, there's a gentleman that goes to church here. His name is Bob Cocker, and he teaches law over at Pepperdine. And uh, he, he gave that, that, uh, that, it was actually an email, one of those emails or phone calls that you get that you're like, yes. He said, you know what, Scott, are you free this Sunday night to go to a Lakers game? I said, well, yes, I am free. If there's a free ticket, I'm involved. And, uh, and, and uh, include me. And so on our drive, he didn't tell me much about it. I hadn't been to one. I'm a big basketball fan. Hadn't been to one since I moved here. I get in the car, and he, Bob Cochran, if you know him, he's pretty, pretty proper, says things exactly how they are, no, no mixed words. He said, he said, Scott, in your vernacular, these would be considered sweet seats. And I'm like, yes. I was like, that's the vernacular I like. And so I, I knew when I, was, when I was showing up and there was, uh, there was valet parking uh, at the Lakers game, I was like, this is going to be a good night. And so we're, we're, we're walking down, and it was kind of cool because he, he was a, a former student of his who had a successful law practice, had, had treated to these tickets. And we're, we're, we're walking down, and Bob was kind enough to share. We're walking down, and you get, you're going down from one section to the next and going into new territory that I've never been in. And as I'm getting closer to the court, I'm like, wait a second. We go, and it was half-court third row. I was like, I, I was right behind Rihanna. It was crazy. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I, I was sitting there. I was like, man, it's so cool when people that have been blessed choose to share that. And, uh, and, 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 and so, so but, but the truth is, just to give this, uh, I don't even know if this works, but, but to give the, 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 the smaller, much, much smaller picture, God Almighty made the decision to humble himself Come down as a simple man, not just a simple man, but a servant, willing to die a martyr's death so that he could include us when, we're, when he's elevated to his glory. His, his joy is complete when we get to be involved in the process. How awesome is that? When we're going into Christmas this season, that should rattle in our brains. Like, man, things are good for a Christ follower. We've got some good days of head. This idea of being co-heirs with Christ. Are you kidding me? The Lakers game? Who cares? A co-heir of Almighty God as he's elevated to his highest point. That's something worth celebrating this Christmas. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you this morning for this chance to stop and pause and think about what actually happened on Christmas, that you fully God became also fully man. You, 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 you balanced both so perfectly. You balanced both of them in a, in a place that you humbled yourself to even death on a cross is what your word says. God, we just thank you for that. We celebrate that this Christmas. I pray that that would rattle in our brains all the way this coming week. The price that was paid, the sacrifice that was made, the humility that was extended on our behalf, God. We thank you for that, God. We celebrate you this Christmas. Fully God, fully man. We love you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.